Welcome everyone to Tour Today Ministries and our continuing series Tehillim Talks, which is a series of studies on the Psalms, otherwise known as Tehillim. And today we find ourselves in Psalm 20. Now, Psalm 20 and Psalm 21, I see as a bridge, a transition between the first 19 Psalms, which form a group, and then Psalms 22 through 31, which also form a group. Now, normally I don't spend a whole lot of time uh, introducing a Psalm or, or filling in information. I just like to, to dive right into a Psalm. But it's very important that we take some time to introduce Psalms 20 and 21 and why they form this unique bridge between the first 19 and then the next group of Psalms beginning in Psalm 22. So let's take a look at the first 19 very quickly. Now, many of you who attend synagogue or a Messianic congregation are familiar with the standing prayer called the Amidah, or it's also called the Shemona Ezri, which is Hebrew for 18, because this prayer, this very ancient prayer of Israel, has 18 parts to it, and some prayer books even number them. Um, the middle section is made up of requests, but the first few and the last few are simply praises to God. And these are always included in the Sabbath prayers. But during the week, we pray all 18 parts of the Shemona Ezri. And so some rabbis have made an observation that these first 19 Psalms align with the 18 parts of the Shemona Ezri. Now, you might be asking, well, how can 19 Psalms align with 18 things? Well, if you recall, when we were studying Psalms 1 and 2, I mentioned that at one time, Psalms 1 and 2 were one psalm. So if we put them together, put them back together, then we basically have 18 psalms. And um, in the the resource section here, the references in your notes, you can print this out. And on the left, I have the 18 parts of the Shimona Ezri. And on the right, I have the Psalms with which they correspond. And you can see that the first part of the Shimona Ezri called Patriarchs, because we are praying to the God of Abraham and Isaac and, and Jacob. And uh, they correspond to Psalms 1 and 2, which, as I said, at one time formed one Psalm. Now, if you take time to go back and forth and compare each facet of the Shimona Ezri with its corresponding, corresponding psalm, uh, you'll find some parallels. Sometimes the parallels are very strong, especially here with the uh, 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th parts of the Shimona Ezri and the corresponding psalms. And um, also down with the building Jerusalem and um, Messiah acceptance of prayer, you find some very, very strong correspondence. Other times, you have to use your imagination a little bit. But it is interesting that the Shemona Ezri always ends with these words. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, Adonai, my rock and my redeemer. And that happens to be the last verse of Psalm 19. So the Shimona Ezri ends with the end of Psalm 19. Um, so maybe I'm making too much of it, and I'm not going to be 
really emphatic that these things correspond and you have to accept it. Whether you accept it or not, that's up to you. The prayer is the prayer. The Psalms are the Psalms and they're all beautiful. And, uh, but there seems to be enough evidence that there is a correspondence here. You know, we, at least I used to look at these 150 Psalms that make up the book of Psalms and think that they were just kind of a random conglomeration of prayers and praises and, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, and songs and poems. But the more I study this book, the more I do see an inner structure to it. And uh, men who are a lot more educated and smarter than me have written books to that effect, that the arrangement of the Psalms have a, a very definite pattern and purpose to them. Now, I want to skip Psalm 20 and 21 just for a moment and take a look at Psalm 22, because Psalm 22 begins a new section. Here is the opening verse of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Now, that opening phrase I know is familiar to you because those are words that Yeshua quoted while he was on the cross. I'm often asked, why did God abandon Yeshua when he's on the cross? And my answer always is he didn't. And they'll say, well, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then my response is, he was quoting Psalm 22. I believe that on the cross, Yeshua, who was the word made flesh, was continuing to quote the text, to live the text, to be the text. And I believe Psalms 22 and 23, the Lord is my shepherd, one we all know, and 24 and on up to 31, verse 5, where he says, into your hand I commit my spirit. I believe that these Psalms describe the inner workings of Messiah's heart and mind while he was suffering on the cross. Because he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then before he dismissed his spirit, he says, into your hands I commit my spirit. So as we look at this group of Psalms coming up shortly, uh, I think you'll see the parallels. There are many wonderful insights into the very heart and mind of Yeshua as he suffered for us to save us from our sins. And those other five things he said while he's on the cross, we'll find allusions to those in these Psalms. So, in summary, we have Psalms 1 through 19, and if I'm correct, they parallel the 18 parts of the Shemona Ezri. And then we have coming up in Psalms 22 through 31, the Psalms I call the Psalms of the Suffering Messiah. We're going to have a picture into the very heart and being of Yeshua as he suffered for our sakes. In between, we have Psalms 20 and 21. They're like a bridge. These Psalms are a prayer for the king, that he would have victory during warfare. And uh, they're quite amazing. And um, I think looking at these two groups on either side of Psalms 20 and 21, will help us to appreciate what 20 and 21 are about. So, let's get right into them. Psalm 20 is for the conductor, Psalm of David. 
And it begins, Adonai will answer you in the day of distress. Now, the word you in Hebrew is singular. So David wrote this prayer for an individual. The question is, who is the individual? Traditionally, there are three possibilities, and I want to offer a fourth. Here are the three, and these also are in your reference section in the notes. And if you're listening to this through a podcast, you're just getting the audio, may I encourage you to go to our website, because for every teaching we do, if you go to the website, you can see all the notes that I'm showing on the screen. And oftentimes the notes include graphs and photographs and diagrams. And you can print these out exactly the way they appear on the screen. And uh, it, I promise you will enhance your study. So uh, listen as a podcast, but go to the website and uh, because there are more features there for you. So the, these are the three theories, and I'll offer you my fourth. Uh, the first one is that David wrote the psalm for Joab when he would go into war when David was too old to wage warfare. And this theory comes from the Babylonian Talmud, Sanhedrin 49a. So, David's too old to go to war, so he writes this prayer for, so people could pray this for Joab. May Adonai answer you, Joab, in the day of distress. And the name of the God of Jacob will set you on high. May he send you help. And it's a prayer for victory. <clears throat> that's a possibility. For me, that's the least likely of the three. Another possibility is that David wrote this psalm, this prayer, for the Levites to pray when David himself would go into battle. So they'd be praying for David the king that God would give you victory. They'd be with you and deliver you. A third possibility, and this one comes from Rabbi Ibn Ezra, who lived about a, almost a thousand years ago, and he believes this is a psalm for Messiah himself, that David is praying for his descendant who will be the Mashiach, praying that God will give him victory and a future day of distress when the Messiah would wrestle with the forces of darkness, to deliver this world from darkness into light and to bring redemption and salvation to this world. That of the three, I think, is very much the strongest. But here's a fourth one I would like to offer. We all go through a day of distress at some time or other. A Yom Zara, it's called. And I believe this is also a prayer that Messiah prays for you for me, when we're going through a time of great struggle. You know, Yeshua didn't suffer so that we wouldn't have to suffer. But as George MacDonald said, he suffered so that our sufferings could be like his. And when he suffered, it was always with a heart of faith in God. His sufferings were for the sake of others. His sufferings for, were for the sake of extending God's kingdom into the world. Our sufferings should be the same. So, maybe Messiah is praying for us as well. So, it could be there's a fifth possibility I don't know of. Or it could be one of these four. It could be all four. 
That's kind of how the Word of God works. It is multifaceted and has many levels to it. So, you ponder it and you decide. So, what is this day of distress, this Yom Zarah? You can see it there in the Hebrew. We've seen this word Zara many times in the Psalms. Uh, right back in Psalms, uh, I think the second Psalm is the first place we found it. And it means a place of great constriction, of pressure. It's the root of the word Mitzrayim, which is the Hebrew word for Egypt. It was a place of pressure and darkness and heat. And we all go through a time like this on occasion. Rabbi... Um, uh, Hirsch says that a Yom Zara is a day where there doesn't appear to be any hope when circumstances are such that we see no hope, no, no deliverance whatsoever. And yet God answers on the day of distress, doesn't he? And then we see the name of the God of Jacob will set you on high. Now we're going to see the name of God three times here, but referred to in three different ways in this short psalm. This is the first one. So why does it say the name of the God of Jacob will set you on high? Why not the name of the God of Abraham or the God of Isaac or the God of David himself? Why Jacob? Well, Jacob went through a lot of distress. In fact, in Genesis 35, I believe it is, 35 verse 3, when God ordered him to leave Laban and go back home, it says, Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So when this psalm refers to a day of distress, the name of the God of Jacob, it's thinking about this passage. And of all the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jacob, by far, hands down, went through a lot more distress than the other two put together. I mean, even in the womb, Jacob and his brother Esau are struggling together. Jacob's life was a life filled with stress and distress and struggle. And then as a young man, he, he, uh, he struggled with his his brother in a, in a way to, to get the, the blessing and the birthright. And then he went into a, uh, the land of his uncle Laban and he wrestled with him, so to speak, for all those years, nearly 20 years. And Laban kept cheating him and changing his wages and Jacob struggled and struggled and struggled. He struggled with the angel uh, as he made his way back to Esau and his hip was put out of joint. He went through distress when his daughter Dina was raped by the prince of Shechem. And then when Simeon and Levi went and destroyed the city of Shechem, great distress Jacob experienced. And his wife, his beloved Rachel, dies in distress, giving birth to Benjamin. And then when Joseph is 17 years old, his brothers sell him into slavery and and convinced Jacob that his beloved son is dead. And he grieved for, again, 20 years or so. So we see distress throughout Jacob's life. And yet God was faithful every step of the way. Every single step of the way, God blessed. So when we're in distress, we can call upon the name of the God of Jacob. 
the God of one who knew stress better than we ever will and who answered him and was with him wherever he went, as Jacob himself said. May he send you help from HaKodesh. And most translations translate this as the sanctuary, so I've left it that way myself. But HaKodesh simply means the holy. And this is an appropriate title for the holy of holies, the holy place, HaKodesh. But it can also refer to simply from the spiritual realm, from the place where God is set apart. That's what Kodesh or holy means, to be set apart. And so may he send you help from a place that is set apart and you can't quite see yet. May he send you help from a source that is hidden from view and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your thanksgiving offerings and regard with favor your elevation offerings. Now, we don't give offerings in order to earn merit, so we have tokens we can cash in for prayer answers. But there's no question that the the sincere prayer of a righteous man avails much, the scriptures tell us. And a person who has a state of thanksgiving is giving minka, minkot, or the thanksgiving offerings. And elevation offerings are the, the ola, offering up words, sacrifices of praise, and, and offering up to God his attention and love and devotion. You know, when such a person prays, God hears. He loves to answer our prayers. And just as you love catching your kids doing good, he loves catching us being good. And even if we're suffering, especially if we're suffering for righteousness sake, he loves to answer us and take care of us. Then we continue in verses four and five. May he grant you according to your heart and fulfill all your plans. Most translations say, may he uh, grant you your heart's desires, but the word desires is not there. It really says according to your heart. Your heart's the deepest part of you, of your, of your soul. And that's where the issues of life arrive, uh, arise from the, the, the depths of the heart. And um, if your heart is clean towards God and straight with God and are in alignment with God, then the desires of your heart are, are okay. I know our hearts can be very sick and weak due to illness, And we can't trust them. But a person who has suffered for righteousness sake and has walked with God over a long period of time, their hearts become healed. Their hearts become stronger. Their hearts come more in alignment with God's heart. And they can trust their hearts a bit more. I may not trust my heart or the hearts of many people I know, but there are some individuals in this world whose hearts I do trust. I trust them very much because their hearts have been purified and strengthened by a lifetime of walking closely with God. May God give all of us such a heart. And may you fulfill all your plans. And the word here for plans can also refer to your battle tactics. Because again, we're praying for someone going into warfare. And we're asking God to make his battle strategies Uh, win the day and bring success. May we shout for joy over your 
Yeshua. Pretty much every time you see the word salvation or rescue in the scriptures, the word Yeshua is there behind it. And in the name of our God. Now here's the second time we find the name of God. Instead of the name of the God of Jacob, it's the name of our God. May he set up our banners. Again, this is a picture of victory. When an army conquered the enemy, they would set up their banner in the enemy's territory, in the enemy's castle, or whatever it is they're trying to conquer. And when the people would see their banner set up in the enemy's territory, they would rejoice and shout because they knew we won. We have the victory. May Adonai fulfill all your requests. Then verses 6 through 8. Now I know that Adonai saves his, and here's the word Mashiach. The word anointed is the word Mashiach. That's where we get the word Messiah. And in Scripture, we have to understand this, there are many who are anointed and called Mashiach. David was called Mashiach. Saul was called Mashiach. Aaron, who is anointed as the high priest, is called Mashiach. So there are many who are anointed. Prophets and priests and kings are all anointed. But there is one individual who's referred to as Ha-Mashiach, the Messiah. And of course, that one is Yeshua, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And we could say the anointed of the anointed, the Messiah of all Mashiachs, all anointed ones. And though you may see the term Messiah applied to prophets, priests, and kings, in general, when you talked about the Messiah, you're talking about the king. And I've mentioned in other teachings, if only we would exchange the word Christ for the word king, I think would change the way we think. Because when we refer to Jesus Christ, we're saying Yeshua the king, King Yeshua. Because Yeshua, that name speaks of salvation. This is what God is doing for us. But when we use the word king, now we're talking about our obligations toward him because he's the ruler. We need to do what he says. He makes the rules. We serve him. But if we don't know what that word Christ means, what lies behind it, then it's just a word. It doesn't mean much. But when we restore its true meaning... Yeshua, the king, he's the one who gives himself for us, but now he invites us to give ourselves to him. Then we begin to see in a more healthy and balanced way what our relationship with our Savior should be. And I'm getting off track. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. God's left hand is never mentioned in Scripture. Nowhere. It's implied in places. But when it refers to his right hand, the right is always the spiritual. The left is always the physical. God is spirit. So it refers to his right hand. And when God saves by the might of his right hand, it means he's saving through supernatural, spiritual means. This is why you can't use human logic and reasoning to figure out what God is going to do or how he's going to do it. We can be in our Yom Zarah, our day of distress, and see no way out. Because our human logic is so limited, we can't see any way out. But when God saves by his mighty right hand, he saves us through spiritual means. Means that simply, 
evade our ability to detect them using logic and reasoning. So he saves us with his, his mighty right hand, the might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots. This would be technology, man-made stuff, and some tr in horses. This is natural strength. These are two things that mankind generally rely on. Their technology or human or animal strength, natural strength and power. But we don't trust in either of those things. We may use them, and they are gifts to be used, but that's not what we rely on. We trust in the name of Adonai our God. And here's the third um, evolution of the name of God in the psalm. First, it was the name of the God of Jacob. Then it was the name of our God. But now it's the name of yad heh vav -Heh, our God. This is our Creator, Redeemer, God. They slump and fall. Chariots and horses slump and fall. But we rise and stand upright. What a, an amazing promise. What an amazing thing. Now, I want just quickly, as we end here, to take a look at Psalm 21. So I mentioned earlier, Psalm 21 and Psalm 20 form a bridge. They go together. And if we look at just the first few verses of Psalm 21, here's what it says. Adonai and your strength. We're talking about the might of his right hand. The king rejoices. Here's the king. Here's the rejoicing. And in your Yeshua, how greatly he exalts. So there's Yeshua again. You have given him his heart's desire. There's that phrase again. And have not withheld the request of his lips. And as you go on through, you begin to see that Psalm 21 is the answer showing the outcome of the prayer of Psalm 20. And so as we finish the first 19 Psalms, which I believe correspond to the Amidah, and we begin to enter into Psalms 22 through 31, the Psalms of Messiah on the cross, we have this bridge, a prayer for the king for his success, for his victory in warfare, and assurance that he will prove victorious. But don't forget also, I believe the Messiah is praying for us, for our days of distress when they come. So may he deliver us by the might of his right hand, and may we rejoice and see our banner planted in our enemy's territory. We have a God who wins. He's a God who's victorious. He's mighty in battle. And as we look at these amazing, wonderful psalms, I pray that for all of us, our faith will be strengthened and we'll see his victory in our lives, especially in those days of distress that we all go through and will go through. So, till next time, I do wish you shalom and may God bless.